Good morning. Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. Winston Churchill once said, if you have an important point to make, don't try to be subtle or clever. Use a pile driver. Hit the point once, then come back and hit it again, then hit it a third time with a tremendous whack. I think he was reading 1 Peter. This is what Peter does with his exhortation to the elders. We saw last week that he tells them what they are to do. Today what we'll see is that he tells them how to do it and why. So if you're able, please stand with me as I read God's word. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. 1 Peter 5, beginning at verse 1. This is God's word. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are our shepherd. And thank you, Lord, that we are awaiting the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, to appear. We pray, Lord, that today that I would be out of the way and that our affections, our minds, our hearts would be set on you. And I pray, Lord, that you would have your way with us, in us, and through us today. In Christ's name, amen. If you've ever had an opportunity to lead something or someone or a group of people, you know that leadership is not for the faint of heart. Whoever would lead must expect to have friends as well as foes. And we are accustomed, are we not, to view leaders with suspicion, and often for good reason. Many leaders have mishandled their responsibility and mistreated those they are called to lead be they political or civic or business or church leaders. Many have betrayed the trust given to them. And so I can understand why it is tough at times for people to trust leaders. Oftentimes in the church there is a vacuum of leadership. Or there is heavy-handed leadership. And sometimes the wrong people rise to the wrong positions for the wrong reasons is a recipe for disaster. As a result, there are many weak and unhealthy churches. God's flock needs faithful shepherds to guide and to graze and to guard them, to guide them to Jesus and the Word of God and to prayer, to let them graze upon the Word of God and to guard them from harmful influences. God-given, spirit-led, humble shepherds. Well, today we're looking at shepherding the flock, part two, First Peter 5, 1 through 4, and we're going to see how a shepherd is to oversee the flock and why. Last week what we saw was the call to shepherding. Today what we see is the character of the shepherds, the character of true shepherds. Peter is giving us a picture of humble, bold, servant leadership in Christ's elders. He is showing us what it looks like and what it doesn't look like. He is showing us the standard to which all elders must aspire and by which we must measure ourselves. And to which you must pray that we attain for the glory of God and the good of Christ's church. 
Christ's elders display godly character that is evident. They don't claim to be perfect, but they are following the perfect shepherd. And as he works in them and through them, they are displayed godly character generated by God. In this letter, Peter writes to suffering Christians. He encourages the churches in terms of their relationship with Jesus. He has said, you have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you love Jesus, and you believe in Jesus. And he says that they should fear God and love the brotherhood. They should honor all people. That they should live as as a chosen race in a a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, a people that had once not received mercy, but now have received mercy. He has told them that they should live with a holy dependence on God via his word and prayer, displaying a costly love, a ready hospitality, engaged in godly service. And now he is speaking directly to the elders, the spiritual leaders, the overseers of the flock. He is telling us, he's saying, it behooves all who would dare to stand and declare that they are servants of Christ's church to take heart to the words that he is speaking. To fulfill the calling of a shepherd, to shepherd God's flock with great care as they trust God to display through them the godly character necessary for such a high calling. I love Peter. I absolutely love Peter. He has the heart of a true shepherd. His audience is going through hardship and difficult persecution, and he exhorts them, he encourages them, and now he is coming alongside the elders of the church, of these scattered churches, these scattered congregations, and he is calling out the elders, and he is speaking to the elders, and he is basically saying to them, Elders, you listen up because this is what you're called to be and do. But he's also speaking to the people and he says, People, believers, listen in because this is what your leaders are called to be and do. You to know. It's a word to the elders, it's a word to the people, it's a word to everyone. And by the way, if you're an elder in Christ's church, you need to listen up. If you are a member of Christ's church, by virtue of trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf and His shed blood, on your behalf, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His promised return. If you're placing your faith in Jesus alone for your salvation, you need to listen in. You need to hear what your leaders are called to be and do. Peter is saying this is what it it looks like and what it doesn't look like. And he's using the motif that's very common in the Bible of shepherds and sheep. We saw last week that sheep need constant attention. We saw that they easily get lost. Sometimes they can't find water. Sometimes they can't find food. Sometimes they drink the wrong kinds of things and eat the wrong kinds of things. We also saw that sometimes they roll over and die because they can't get back up. And they get hurt and they give up. And they're vulnerable to attack. They can't run and kick and bite and scratch or jump to protect themselves. And you may be tempted to say, well, hey, wait a minute. I can run and bite and kick and jump and punch to protect myself. Who are you to call me a sheep? God wrote it. God's using the example. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Dirty, smelly sheep. Tender little lambs. Not you, them. I got to see some live sheep this week. I wasn't expecting the treat. I wasn't expecting the situation to to occur, but I coach our youngest child, Sophia, in basketball, and we had a game at Harupa Valley High School Think hinterlands. Okay, think northeast. That was a dig at one of my friends. Think northeast Norco. 
Okay. Hinterlands. Uh, the area is quite rural, and we get to this high school, and I smell this, this, um, this beautiful odor wafting through the airwaves, and I realize there's animals around. And so I uh, take a break through between games and I walk around and lo and behold, I see horses and sheep. I see horses all the time, so I ran to the sheep pen and took pictures. The lambs were frisky and frolicking. We're talking newborn lambs. Just say, ah, newborn baby lambs. Who doesn't love those? They were running towards me. They were running all over the place, having fun. But then the older sheep They were smelly, smelly, and dirty, and very uninterested in me. I wasn't food, nor am I their shepherd. They don't know my voice. They could care less if I was there. And I'm sure, though, I didn't see any shepherds around, but I'm sure they have lots of student shepherds leading them, feeding them. And protecting them. They were protected from me by their sheep pen. I couldn't get in there and steal them without a lot, a lot of effort. Sheep need a shepherd. We saw last time that good shepherds guide the flock. And they let them graze on the word of God. And they, they guard them from harmful influences. And false teaching. That's what they do. But now we're going to see today how and why. How are they to do it? Peter is going to give us three pairs and they contain three three bad things you should avoid, three vices to shun, and then three good things to to aspire to, to, to seek. And I'm going to look, we're going to look at the three vices first. We'll go back and look at the virtues. I'm going to give you the bad news first, and then we're going to go out with joy. All right? First the negatives, then we'll get to the positives. First the prohibitions, then we'll look at the encouragement. I want you to notice the first thing that Peter points out to elders to watch out for in terms of their character. It has to do with their inward motivation. The first thing is, you shouldn't have to be forced to be an elder especially due to laziness and sloth. Verse 2 says, not under compulsion. You're to shepherd the flock of God, not under compulsion. Not having to be forced or asked to help. Being a reluctant elder is not what God wants. God wants elders to take initiative, to initiate shepherding, not wait to be asked. Just go and engage. There will be needs you're not aware of until they're presented because you're not a mind reader. But when you know the flock and you know the needs, you will not shirk that responsibility. Don't slip out from under that stewardship. Paul said it this way, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. The first thing is don't, elders, don't, have to be forced to shepherd the flock due to laziness. The second thing Peter points out for elders to watch out for in their character is also having to do with the inward motivation. Number two, not for selfish gain. Literally, not for shameful gain. Not greedy. The love of money, the love of attention, the love of applause, all due to greed. Don't do it for that. Verse 2, not for shameful gain. Don't feed your greed. Don't feed your selfish felt need rather than appropriately feeding the flock. Don't collect and consume for yourself more than you need and leave the flock high and dry. Paul told Timothy, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. John MacArthur rightly points out that Scripture is clear that churches should pay their shepherds well. By the way, I'm the only elder at Grace that is paid. I am freed up to be a full-time shepherd. Our other elders are not getting paid for their service. But it would be very easy for any of us to have a desire for what is undeserved and what should not be sought as our motive to serve. 
It's very easy to say, well, I want to serve so that people will think well of me or that they will give me a good reputation or that I will get something from them so that I can get what I want. I knew a man once, years ago, who desperately wanted to be an elder in his church. And he told me one day, he says, you know, the pastor of my church has promised me that someday I will be an elder. I immediately had a red flag, lots of red flags going up. Because I did not see in this person the heart of an elder. I've served at two churches, I've served at three churches in 30 years, but two of them had active elder boards and they're true elders. And he was nothing like the elders I know. Because this man had a deep need to be needed, to be acknowledged, to be accepted, to be upfront. And one day he came to me and we were having lunch and he said, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little bit frustrated at my church because my, old, my pastor promised me and it's not happening. Turns out several years later, he disqualified himself on several fronts from ever being an elder at any church. Here's what a true elder will do. A true elder will often say no to his own desires to do what is best for the flock. And you may not even know what your shepherds have done on your behalf. Because they're not going to go sound the trumpet every time they say no to themselves to do what is best for the flock. Elders don't do it forced due to laziness. Don't do it for selfish gain due to greed. And third, and Peter's now going to point out to the elders, in terms of their character, now an outward action, a behavior to avoid. Number three, not forcing others to obey. Not coercing them to follow you. Verse 3 says, not domineering over those in your charge. Domineering means to exercise complete control. To force your will on others, which betrays an absence of love. A lust for power. What Peter has been building to Ezekiel in the Old Testament presented as a word from God against the shepherds of Israel, against their spiritual leaders. You can't talk shepherding the flock of God without going to Ezekiel chapter 34 and seeing the sad, sad state of affairs that transpired. Ezekiel 34. God has strong words for the shepherds of Israel who were supposed to be leading God's people but served their own interests instead. Verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who've been feeding themselves. The number one calling of a shepherd of God's flock is to feed God's flock on the word of God. You've been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the flock? eat the fat you clothe yourselves with the wool you slaughter the fat ones but you do not feed the sheep and it gets worse it gets very specific the weak you have not strengthened the sick you have not healed the injured you haven't bound up the strayed you haven't brought back the lost you haven't sought after but with force and harshness you've ruled them They were scattered. There was no shepherd. They became food for wild beasts. They weren't being guarded. They weren't being guided or grazed or guarded appropriately. And so God says, you hear the word. I'm against you, shepherds. I will require my sheep at your hand, and I'm going to put a a stop to your feeding of the sheep. What Peter is saying not to do coincides with prohibitions found in 1 Timothy 3 as well. 
An elder should not be a drunkard or violent or quarrelsome or a lover of money, not a recent convert so that he will not get puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. It coincides with Titus chapter 1. That an elder should not be open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not a drunkard, not violent, not greedy for gain. So an elder is not to be forced to be an elder due to laziness, not under compulsion. An elder is not to lead for self, for selfish reasons, out of greed, and not forcing people to follow lording it over, dominating. And elders must constantly be on guard against these tendencies, these spiritual hazards, these dangers. Because elders are not perfect. They are chosen by a perfect shepherd. God condemns these kind of leaders. God says, this is not how you should lead. You know, every prohibition in Scripture, man can fall into that trap of doing those things. But God points us to a better way. I told you we're going to go out with joy today. God tells us what we should aspire to. We need to know what we shouldn't do. And we need to know what we should reach for. So He tells us what we should aspire to. So let's look at the the good things that elders should, should seek. First thing is elders should shepherd because they want to. Because they want to. Verse 2, not under compulsion, but willingly. That means you want to. You aspire. Like Paul says, if someone desires to be an overseer, it's a noble task they, they want to do, they aspire to do. So instead of doing the job out of obligation because someone has to do it, the elder freely and willingly chooses to engage in this valuable work. No one should feel pressured to accept a role in the church leadership if he really doesn't want it. Peter says, as God would have you, literally according to God's will, you're, you're acting in line with God's will. Think about it. Every time you ask for God's will, what you're in effect saying is, I want what you want, Lord. So if you're called as an elder, you need to want to be one because you're asking for God's will and you want to be in accordance with God's will. So if God has made it clear to you, and by the way, third hour here, do, are, can you raise your hand if there's any elders in the room? I seriously have a bad headache today, and I, my eyesight isn't great today. Um, the other, they were all in the other hours. Seriously, there were a lot. And uh, we have 11 elders at Grace, if you didn't know that. And let me just say that there are none of them that are saying, well, nobody else would. Uh, I raised my hand. Or, you know, they twisted my arm. If God has made it clear to you that it is His will for you, then you will actively engage in a ministry of shepherding the flock of God, and the body of Christ that you are a part of will recognize it, and you will say yes when you're asked to serve in an official capacity. God has called some of you, and you're not willing to receive it. And some want it for the wrong reasons. But there are others who are on the path, and when you're asked, you'll say yes, because it's God's will for your life. And we're praying for all of you. You gotta want to. An elder needs to want to be an elder. That's the kind of men God is calling out. The second thing that elders should, should do is they should shepherd because they love to. 
Not just because they desire it, but because they absolutely love to. Verse 2 says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. It would be easy to say, well, willingly means eagerly. It's not the same word. Different word, different meaning. Eagerly means zealously. It's an extremely strong word. It expresses huge enthusiasm and devoted zeal. You see, God wants our ungrudging service. He will have leaders that actually want to serve eagerly. It it points to a positive emotional desire to do the work. That's where willing comes in. Your free choice to do it, the decision of your will. And zealously means you're really excited about the opportunity. That this is what you want to do. And you're so glad to be able to do it. So true elders want to and love to. They know that it's not without its hardships. They know that it's not without its heartaches and challenges and and tough situations, but they wouldn't trade it for anything. True elders. A true elder is going to wholeheartedly embrace the task of shepherding and will not give thought for their temporal reputation or advancement. They will say, I want to serve God. I want to serve the Lord with gladness. Elders, you should be eager to work for God's glory and others' good, not to get what you can get for yourself, but enthusiastically giving yourself to the work. Not punching a clock. A true elder says, I want to do my best to serve the Lord and please Him. The first two things that Peter is giving us. Want to and love to. Those are true elders. And they're inward motivations. Which leads to outward behavior. Which is the third thing Peter encourages. Because your attitude drives your actions. The third thing is that elders should shepherd because they actively care for people. It shows People know it. They care so much, they are compelled. Verse 3 says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I picked out an elder in every of the the other two services. I picked an elder out. I said, I'm going to name an elder, okay? Let's go with with Matthew Holbrook, third hour, okay? He He didn't get picked on yet today. Let's just say we say Matthew Holbrook, one of our elders, He's the model of all elders. And we're going to follow him and do exactly how he does because he's an example to the flock. Now, we will go very wrong with this because what will happen is we're going to to model after him instead of after Jesus. See, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so elders are to be examples to the flock of real Christians who are in need of a Savior and in need of mercy. And not sinning and winking at it, but admitting when they sin. And repenting of it. Be real. True elders are compelled. They're Christ elders, so they say, hey, I'm, I'm a, I gotta be a servant leader. I'm not gonna run roughshod over the flock, but I'm not gonna be afraid to speak the truth in love. I'm gonna be constrained by the love of God. And I'm gonna live conscientiously I'm going to watch my own life and make sure I walk circumspectly circumspect literally means you walk like a chicken because chickens like I can't do it right now because my neck hurts but they kind of poke their head out when they're walking you know it's something to do with the eyes and being able to see And the idea is you want to make sure you're walking circumspectly. The Bible talks about walking circumspectly. It's watching how you walk, watching how you live. Making sure that your life isn't going to pull the rug out from under someone's faith. So they live conscientiously and circumspectly, and they're connected in the body, and people know it. They care. The The way you know if someone cares for you is if they care for you. The elder says, I want to be an honest example. I want to embrace God's call in my life, and I want to display the character 
of Christ that he wants to build in me. I want to be a pattern. I want to be a model to imitate that is honest. Not this picture of someone who's better than everyone else, but someone who is honestly following Jesus and saying, there but for the grace of God. Go I. Peter is telling us what it looks like. What does it look like? This willing heart, this free will service, this voluntary service, this willfully obedient service, this eagerness, this this exemplary life. What does it look like? Charles Spurgeon put it this way. The true shepherd spirit is an amalgam of many precious graces. He is hot with zeal, but not fiery with passion. He is gentle, yet he rules his class. He is loving, but he does not wink at sin. He has power over the lambs, but he is not domineering or sharp. He has cheerfulness, but not levity. Freedom, but not license. Solemnity, but not gloom. What is, what is implied as Peter is exhorting the elders is what is expected in God-ordained Christian leadership. A deep love for and commitment to prayer where we are declaring our dependence on God. And the Word of God, God is speaking to us and the flock of God, people. I like to put it this way. My life, you boil it down, it's praying, preaching, and my own word, peopling. Okay, praying, preaching, and peopling. You boil my life down. God's calling in your life to leadership. If you're an elder, and the subsequent character that he wants to build in you is going to show itself as you are immersed in prayer, in the ministry of the word, and in real ministry with real people in the flock. Praying is one of the first things thrown overboard in a busy life. And a lot of Christian leaders will say, you know what, that one's hidden, I can cover that one, I don't really need to pray. People will know. The apostles in Acts chapter 6 verse 4 said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And it's very easy for us to invert those and say, the ministry of the word, and if we get to it, we'll pray. We don't want to waste time. Let's get to the word. They say, we'll we'll devote ourselves to, to prayer first. Will you declare your dependence on God and then the ministry of the word where you hear from God? And there are so many enticements to forget that, that order. And the best and only way I know to, to live a life characterized by prayer is to will to do it. I don't wait till I have this feeling that I really, really want to pray. I force myself to pray. And I love it. And I force myself to pray, and after I've prayed, I am so glad I did. And there's nothing special about our elders and pastors in this regard, but I'm going to share one thing. And we'll give credit to Andrew McNeil over here, our pastoral intern, because he actually said to me one day, he says, when I leave Grace Church of Orange, I would love it if, if the mark I made on the church is that the elders and the pastors were praying together often. So Friday mornings at 6.30, there's a small group of us that meet right here in the spot at the front in the, in the church, in the worship center here. And I'll tell you, every Friday morning, I want to sleep in. And I drag myself out of bed, even if I've been up late the night before, and, and we, we hit our knees and we pray, and God does something. We've only been doing it for two months. Sure, we were praying before, but we're praying more now. Because... We've got to get this order right. 
Richard Baxter says, Prayer must carry on our work as much as preaching. He preacheth not heartily to his people that will not pray for them. God doesn't want prayerless elders. And preaching has fallen on hard times. So many ministry leaders think it's optional. I had a pastor tell me once, he said, if my church didn't expect me to give a sermon on Sundays, I wouldn't. That guy needs to find something else to do. If we're not going to have a sermon on Sundays, I'm not coming. It doesn't matter if I'm up here or someone else, I want to hear the word preached. We say we want to be like Jesus. And then we use preaching as a bad word. Don't preach at me. Let's reclaim it. We want to be like Jesus. We want to follow in his steps. Jesus preached. He didn't soft peddle it. Paul, he said to the Ephesian elders, I did not shrink from declaring you anything that was profitable. He says, in 1 Corinthians 9.16, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. In Ephesians 3.8, he says, I want to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, the beauty of Christ, and him crucified and risen and coming again. It is very short-sighted of us, though, to limit preaching to Sunday mornings at church. It's a big deal. This is what I work hardest at all week long. But preaching needs to be everywhere and it needs to start in your own heart by preaching the gospel to yourself. If I stand up here and give you my opinions or even attempt to preach the word without having it crush my heart first, then I am not doing my job. It should come from your heart, from your home and outward. There should be a ripple effect a reverberation from your heart and your home and your relationships preaching the gospel to yourself preaching the gospel to others preaching the word in many settings 2 Timothy 4 preach the word ready in season and out of season the bottom line for me on preaching is Jesus did it Jesus said to do it that's enough for me that's good enough for me and then you come to peopling peopling which I'm going to call the flux capacitor of an elder's work you're going to have to look that up it makes sense to me right now it might not to you Peter says shepherd God's flock shepherd them some pastors and elders don't like people I talked to a pastor one time he told me I don't like people Go get a, you gotta get another job too you gotta get another vocation you can't be a, you can't be a shepherd of the flock if you don't like them And I think sometimes churches give out the title too quickly. And I think we can let people keep them for too long. Paul, shepherd, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And I think that about says it all in shepherding. But there are people running around with the title pastor or elder that won't spend for the souls of other people. They're not willing. They feel entitled. They feel lazy. They're prayerless. They're loveless. Your ministry of prayer and preaching must find its way into the lives of real people. There is this selfless, other-oriented, and most importantly, Christ-centered nature to eldering, to true spiritual shepherding that cannot be ignored. Elders need to want to be an elder and love to be an elder and care about people. And they're to do all of this for a reason not for an earthly paycheck a specific reason verse 4 tells us and it's because here's the reason because they want to please God they want to do what God wants they are anticipating a precious future reward for faithful shepherding verse 4 when the chief shepherd appears Peter is so fixated on Jesus coming back. It's a big deal to him because it's a big deal. Christ's imminent return is promised and it will be personal and visible and bodily. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus. It's the chief ruler, the beginning ruler, the starting point, the first, the primary, the preeminent. Colossians 1.18, that Jesus would have first place in everything, preeminence. It says, when the chief shepherd appears. Now, he's coming back in judgment on the nations. He's coming back with blessing for the people, his people. And when this happens, God is going to have a very special reward for faithful shepherds. Peter says, you're going to get the unfading. And by the way, unfading is the word in Greek where we get the name for a flower called the amaranth. You might know it as the chrysanthemum. It was sacred to the Ephesians, especially for the, to their worship of the false god Artemis. And it was supposed to have special healing properties. A symbol of immortality used to decorate the images of the gods and the tombs of the gods. But God is using this term to signify what he creates that never perishes. The unfading crown of glory. Christians talk a lot about crowns. Crowns in the New Testament. Uh, crowns in New Testament time were given as marks of victorious achievements. Believers are promised crowns of glory, of life, of righteousness, of, of boasting in the Lord, joy in the Lord. And every one of those crowns are imperishable. So you go back to that term crown of glory and you go, what does it mean? It literally means the crown which is eternal glory. The crown which is eternal glory. Nobody earns their way to heaven. You're not earning eternal life. You're chosen by God. He's writing to the elect. But he's saying for faithful service, you get this. Go, go back to First Peter 1, verse 4. Let's, let's look at another usage of the term unfading. He starts in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. There's our title for this whole series. The living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and... Say it with me. Unfading. It's the idea of, of, of eternal glory in Christ. Being with Christ forever. And it's going to happen at Christ appearing at his second coming. Paul, he says in 2 Timothy 4.8, he says, There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his, what? Appearing. The, 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 the coming of Christ. So if you're going to be a shepherd of the flock of God, you better fix your eyes on the chief shepherd. No under-shepherd is or can be fruitful unless he is deeply rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. The elders care for the members of Christ's church that have been entrusted to them. They shun selfish pursuits. They discharge their task willingly, eagerly, and in an exemplary manner. If an elder does shoddy work, he loves his own life more than the lives entrusted to his care. If he acts unilaterally, or tries to control the way a church goes, or uses the power and influence for selfish ends, they will incur a stricter condemnation for leading people astray. This is sobering work. This is like marriage. Not to be entered into lightly or unadvisedly, but soberly, reverently, and in the fear of Almighty God. An elder's task is this. Prayer and preaching and people. That is it. And there is nothing we are called to do that the scriptures are not sufficient for. And this kind of eldership that God is calling for calls for ongoing accountability. Acts chapter 20, Paul spoke to the Ephesian elders and he said, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock. Yourselves, plural. He's talking to a plurality of elders. Paul to Timothy, pay close attention to yourself, your, your private life, and to your teaching, your public ministry. And here, in 1 Peter 5, he is exhorting the elders among the churches. You know, Jonathan Edwards, 
one of the greatest preachers that America has ever had and the best theologian that America has ever produced. If you've never read any of the biographies of his life, I would encourage you to read Ian Murray's biography of his life. But there was a couple things that happened in his ministry which was largely solo leadership where he needed a plurality of elders. Coming near the end of his time pastoring Northampton Church, there were a couple issues that came up that a plurality of elders would have would have talked about and, and wrestled with and come up with something together that he did alone that caused great distress in the church. A plurality of elders. Peter is addressing the elders very, very specifically. There's a lot of accountability built in. If you're an elder, God made you an overseer to care for others' souls. You got to trust the Holy Spirit. It's Christ's church. Shepherd the flock of God entrusted to your care. But I want to point something out that what leaders are called to and what this passage is clearly teaching by way of application is really what every Christian should aspire to. To have the attitude of Jesus Christ explained in Philippians 2.4. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That everyone should aspire to the good things in these verses and avoid the bad. This is how everyone should treat Everyone. You know, in every realm of life, we want our leaders to be held accountable, and rightly so. And in the church, we are very happy with the idea of our leaders being accountable to one another and accountable to the flock. But I found that sometimes we do not insist on the same level of relational connectedness and honest scrutiny in our own lives. So I'll ask you today, who holds you accountable to stay on the straight and narrow path in following Jesus? Who isn't afraid to ask you the tough questions? Who do you see on a regular basis, face to face, that knows you well and you're interdependently connected with? If you are a believer, you know how important this is and you know how rare Sadly, how rare it is. God gives us many soberingly painful but ultimately joyful opportunities to grow in Christ, and one is with deep relationships in the body. This should not just be reserved to the elders' relationships. But I do think, as I come to a close with this, I do think that there is good reason why Peter waited five chapters to address the elders. And it is illustrated actually by our assembly here at Grace. You do not see the elders sitting above you up front, but among you. Peter exhorts the elders among you, a very careful distinction, a very purposeful designation. Think about the church. Every true believer in Christ believes and loves Jesus. Their utmost desire is to know him and find their deepest joy in Christ. Joy inexpressible and full of glory, as Peter puts it. And we go out like this, and complaining and judging and jockeying for position are eradicated, eliminated. We're filled with joy inexpressible, filled with the Spirit, and our bitterness and resentments and grudges fail, fade into oblivion. And faithful elders come out of that fertile soil, of a fellowship of believers who are fixated on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the gospel. As your pastor, I will gladly admit to you that while I'm good at talking a good game, I feel often very deficient in my love for Jesus and others. And it is very easy for me to keep score of personal injuries and resentments and grudges and wrong motivation in my life. 
And you may say, wow, we called the wrong guy to be our pastor. He's a mess. That's how I feel often. And so do all of our elders. But what would be worse if I wasn't aware that I'm often a mess? What would be worse is if I'm not aware of my need for cleansing by the blood of Christ every day. It's good to know you have a fever. Your elders are not claiming perfection, but we are humbly and dependently looking to the only perfect one, the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the beauty of committed Christian fellowship. You stay, even though you know you're dealing with imperfect people. You practice the one another's. You love, you patiently forbear, you forgive. True elders are not overlords, they are under shepherds. They are humble, bold servants of Christ. False elders are harsh beaters of the sheep. True elders know their weakness and lean on Christ for strength. Grace Church of Orange has true elders. Praise God. Lord God, thank you that you you do what you want to do in your body. Lord, as leaders, we aspire to be examples to the flock, acknowledging clearly that we are not perfect, but that Christ is the object of our deepest affections. Christ and him crucified draws us in, accepts us all, warts and all, not condoning or celebrating our sin, but leading us to confession and repentance and conforming us to his image. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Please send us out today with joyful hearts for your perfect provision in Christ and your provision for your church. Lord, keep us remembering that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, the shepherd and guardian of our souls, our chief pastor and elder. And that his under-shepherds, while imperfect, keep watch over our souls. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.